Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's Word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. Today I want to talk to you about obsession over anxiety. From Matthew chapter 6, um, my first job out of college, most of you know, was working offshore in the oil industry. And that job meant that almost every week I would leave home and I would go spend seven to ten days on a drilling rig in the Gulf of Mexico mostly. And those days were very interesting. I wasn't often on the same rig, and so every time you land on a different rig, it's a different kind of vibe. But for everybody in every rig, there was kind of this sense of tension, of anxiety. Everyone had their job to do. There was usually between 40 and 60 men on a rig. And it was, it was kind of an interesting culture. But there was this sense of, you know, this isn't normal. No one lives on a postage stamp made of metal in the middle of the ocean. And so it was, it was kind of an interesting setting. But it didn't make it any better that every week they would have a fire drill. I don't know if at your businesses, unless you work at a school, you probably don't have a fire drill on a regular basis. But every week they were required to have a fire drill, and they would run us all out, and we would have to get in this little bitty capsule where it would be really hot and claustrophobic. And we would, um, we would sit there, and they would tell us about all of the terrible things that could happen to you on a rig. And if this alarm sounds, this is happening. If this alarm sounds, basically we're all going to die. Those kinds of things is what would happen. And so there was this kind of tension on the rig. But I had a job. I was a contractor. And one of the things I had to do, usually every three or four days, was to climb to the top of the derrick, which is the highest point on the rig. And essentially, that was a 150-foot ladder, straight up. And often, for some reason, it seemed like what I had to do it was almost always at night. And you had to safety harness some of the time, but not usually most of the time. And certainly, they didn't take you all the way to the top. I'll explain that some other time, but that's, that's kind of how we did it. And you had to put something on, uh, some tools on your back and climb this ladder. And when you did that, you became obsessed with climbing that ladder. You actually forgot all about the tension of the rig, and you had one job, and that was to climb to the top of the derrick. You had to think about every step and holding on to every rung and being very careful. Because if you fell, well, you can imagine 150 feet uh, to the drill floor and another 60 feet to the water. If you fall, you're essentially a, a sack of cement hitting pavement. So you were really focused on it. But I have to tell you, when you got to the top, and even along the way, you left all the anxiety of the rig behind. You were focused on one thing. You were obsessed with one thing, and that was getting to the top. And when you got there, and I have to tell you, I, I have a fear of heights. Anyone knows me knows that I'm always afraid I'm going to step off of a building or something. Um, but I had to overcome my fear of heights and learn how to climb that ladder and be obsessed with that. And when you got to the top, it was a special place. Most, much of the noise of the rig you couldn't hear, and you're kind of out there all by yourself, a couple hundred feet in the air off the water, Obsession caused me to leave behind 
anxiety. And that is true spiritually as well. Today we're looking at a passage from Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19, where Jesus continues to teach the basic teachings that give us a foundation that um, will stand in any storm. And that's what this whole series is about on the Sermon on the Mount. How we live in such a way to give us this foundation. And in this section, Jesus deals with anxiety. And he tells us that if you can get obsessed with living like me, your anxiety will dissipate. Anxiety is defined by the American Psychological Association this way. Um, Anxiety is an emotion characterized by feelings of tension, worried thoughts, and physical changes like increased blood pressure. People with anxiety disorders usually have recurring intrusive thoughts or concerns. They may avoid certain situations out of worry. They may also have physical symptoms such as sweating, trembling, dizziness, or rapid heartbeat. Let me just ask you, who wants to live that way? Who wants to live an anxious life? Is this what Jesus really intends for his followers? Is this how we're supposed to be, kind of living in this constant state of anxiety? And in these days of the coronavirus, it's easy to live that way. You've heard so many press conferences. You've read so many articles. You've heard, had so many conversations about the crisis that we're in. That in general, it's kind of like living on a rig, and you're wondering, what in the world is going to happen? Will I get the virus? Will somebody I know get the virus? Will my job come to an end? Will I be able to support myself? Will I be able to even eat? And there's this constant sense of stress in our lives. Is that what, how God wants us to live? Is that what following Jesus is like? And does it make a difference that we are followers of Jesus when it comes to this idea of anxiety? Well, look with me. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. And I would encourage you, grab your Bible. Grab your tablet. I've got mine here today. Uh, Grab a real Bible that that has pages and all that, kind of old school. Uh, Grab your your device, whatever it is. But I would encourage you, as we're worshiping today, as we're we're opening God's Word, look at the Word of God together. Look with me uh, wherever you are. I think it's important for us to get in that habit. Matthew chapter 6, beginning verse 19. I'm going to read the whole passage, and then I'll come back and we'll talk about it. Jesus is speaking, and he says this. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroys, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in your eye is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. 
Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are they not of more value than you? Are you not, I'm sorry, you're not of more value than they. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Get this. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. A little bit of a lengthy passage, but hopefully familiar to you. But the whole passage is about this idea of anxiety versus obsession. Look at there, he starts it off. He says, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth, but lay yourself up treasures in heaven. And he's saying that everything that you own on earth is at risk and it's temporary. No matter what you gather, there's always going to be things that want to steal it, corrupt it, eat it up. And he wants us to know right off the bat that when you're trying to gather things on earth and store them up, you're setting yourself up for an anxious life. He says, instead, you need to store up treasures in heaven. Because in heaven, everything that you have in heaven is secure and it's permanent. Isn't that encouraging to think that I can't lose what I have in heaven? Everything on earth we're constantly worried about. Is the stock market going to go down? Is it going to go up? Am I going to have enough money for retirement? Am I going to lose it? Is someone going to steal it? Everything that you buy in general is going to decrease in value. But in heaven, the value is secure. So Jesus is saying you need to build treasure in heaven. And we're going to talk about how you do that as we go here. So the first thing we need to see about anxiety is it all depends on what you're looking at. And that's what he goes ahead and, and oh, he says in verse 21, he says, remember for where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Get this. Do you want your heart to be in an anxious place on earth with the earthly treasure? Or do you want your heart to be in a secure place in heaven? See, the two are always going to be connected. What you really treasure, it, it always reveals your heart's desire and where your heart is and what your heart is dependent upon to feel good. You can't separate those two. And then he kind of gives a parable illustration. He says, you know, the eye is the lamp of the body. Uh, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if the eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And you say, well, I'm kind of confused. What do you mean? Very simply put, here's what he's saying. What do you have your eye on? What are you focused on? If your eye is on 
accumulate in earthly wealth, earthly treasure, he's saying your body, your life is going to be full of the anxiety of darkness. Because that's what you're looking at. All that anxiety is going to fill you. However, if your eye is focused on heaven, if it's focused on living like Jesus, you are building, uh, you're building your treasure in heaven, then your whole life is going to be filled with light and delight and joy. Very interesting way he starts this whole passage. Where is my focus? And then he says something that some of you may disagree with, and I would challenge you to look at this passage very carefully. He says, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one or love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And the word there for money really means all the resources a person have has, their treasure, your treasure. You cannot serve God and treasure or wealth at the same time. Now, here's in practical matters what it means. You cannot be obsessed with accumulating wealth and be obsessed with following Jesus at the same time. A lot of people have been taught, and there's many preachers that would say that, you know, God intends for you to be healthy and wealthy, and that's really what your life should be like. That's what it means. This passage really kind of harpoons that, doesn't it? You see, if, if my eye, here's what it says, if I am obsessed with accumulating wealth, then I, I don't like Jesus. I actually hate him. Think about that. You see, it doesn't, you say, well, then I can't be wealthy or the wealthy people are. So no, here's what it's saying. Where is your eye? What are you focused on? Am I, there are many incredibly generous wealthy people who are focused on following Jesus and obsessed with that. They just, God just happens to bless them with wealth. It does mean you should manage what God gives you, absolutely, but it's what you're obsessed with. What is first in your life is what Jesus is getting at. And see, if I'm going to be obsessed with wealth, I'm never going to have the peace of Jesus Christ. What are you obsessed with? And so to further illustrate, Jesus continues. In verse 25, he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious, and there's the word, about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body uh, more than clothing? Get that, you know, in our world today, even in coronavirus days, we are a foodie culture, aren't we? And it actually, I read one article recently that said food has become the new art form, even surpassing music. Really interesting. Nothing wrong with loving food and being into the different flavors. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, nothing wrong with the art of it. But he's saying, listen, if that's your obsession, if that's where you're finding your joy, isn't there more to life than that? Even when you have the best meal, even when you have the best experience, even when maybe in these days of coronavirus and you're staying home cooking a lot and you achieve something new, right? A lot of people are baking bread and they're doing all kinds of different dishes. They're learning to cook all over again. It's fun. But is it your obsession? Because isn't there more to life than what you're eating? And isn't there more to life than what you're putting on, what you're wearing? Isn't there more to life than that? That's what he's saying. He says, look at the birds of the air, verse 26. 
They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so loves, so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, clothe you of little faith? Here's just a summary of what he's saying. It's so important for us to get this. God displays his glory through flowers, and he's one of the, the flowers of the field literally would bloom for a day, uh, kind of like a, like a hibiscus. I mean, it's just brief, and then they're gone. God displays his glory through flowers and lilies in the field. He displays his glory through nature that didn't deserve it, that didn't earn it, but God just chooses to show his glory in that way. And he's saying, aren't you more valuable than the flowers of the field? Oh, I love to think of that. You see, God wants to display his glory through us, through each of you. He knows what you need. He says, he says, he says these flowers are arrayed, in other words, they're clothed, better than one of the most wealthy men that ever lived, Solomon. Don't you think that God's going to take care of you? He knows what you need. Why are you worried about these things? Remember, last week we talked about the model prayer, and that service is still available. You can check that out on Facebook or on YouTube. But in the, the model prayer, in the run-up to it, as Jesus is, is getting ready to, to share what the model is, he says, don't... Don't use all kinds of crazy phrases and words. Use your own language because your father already knows what you need. He reiterates it here. He already knows what you need. When you pray, you're simply accessing what God already wants to give. You see, God loves you so much. He wants to meet your need. Continue, verse 30. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? God will meet your fundamental needs. As it says in the model prayer, ask him for what you need. Daily bread is a part of your material needs that we ask God to meet in the midst of serving him. Verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your Father in heaven knows that you need them. God already knows what you need. And then we come to really the capstone verse. It's a familiar verse to most of you. Uh, verse 33 says this, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Here's what he's saying. We need to become obsessed with living like Jesus. We need to become obsessed with living the way Jesus is teaching in this Sermon on the Mount. Remember some of the teaching. You can go back to uh, beginning in chapter 5. To live like Jesus is to say, I'm living like a spiritual beggar. I need to be filled constantly. That's, that's what he's saying. You need to live like that. I need to mourn over my sin. I need to, to be, live a repentant life. And I need to understand that even if I'm a godly person and I've lived that way for years, 
I never quite arrive. I love that should be encouraging for those of you who are new to the faith to say, it's a journey. I'm going to continue to, to walk with Jesus, to seek after the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, to say, you know what? I want to be salt and light. I want to be, I want to be a preservative in a rotting world. I want to provide light in a dark world. I want to show people Jesus. I want to connect people to Jesus. That's what it means to seek the kingdom and his righteousness and to build treasure in heaven. It means that I want to deal with my sin of anger and not just say, hey, I haven't killed anybody. It says I want to deal with the heart, not just the outward action. And I want to deal with my lust, and I want Jesus to take that away from me so that I can not only just not commit adultery, but not commit the sin of lust all the time. This is what it means to build treasure in heaven. And I want to pray to my God individually, secretly, because he hears me when I'm not trying to just make a show of my spirituality, when I, I'm simply saying, Jesus, I want to please you. I want to connect with you. I want to access what you already want to do. I, I want to I be involved. I want to access what you already want to give. I want to be involved in your kingdom expansion. I want to connect people to you. That's, that's what I want to do. That's what this verse means, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then he says, and all these things will be added to you. All these things that we tend to get anxious about, that we worry about. Am I going to have enough food? Am I going to have enough clothing? When I seek first the kingdom, it's like climbing that ladder off of the floor of the derrick. You leave behind that sense of anxiety when you become obsessed with following Jesus. Some of you might say, well, Steve, you know, I know people that are godly people, I know that they, they love Jesus, but man, they're poor. They're all over the world. Absolutely, that's true, and that happens. This promise is that God will meet our basic needs to accomplish his purpose. And it doesn't mean that we're going to have uh, more than we need, and it doesn't mean that we're going to live forever. It doesn't mean that we're not going to have pain and challenge. It just means that Jesus is going to provide what we need to accomplish what he's given us to accomplish. And it also has a forward-thinking future component to it. There will be a day. There will be a day in heaven when we'll get to enjoy all the treasure that we've built there. And we'll spend eternity enjoying that. So there is a future to this as well. That God is faithful. He gives us exactly what we need, when we need it. And he gives it to us forever. So our goal here is to become obsessed with living like Jesus and allowing our anxiety to dissipate. One of the best articles I've written recent, I mean, I've read recently about the crisis is written by Derek Thompson of The Atlantic. Uh, one of my sons forwarded it to me. It's called The Pandemic Will Change American Retail Forever. And in this kind of future thinking, it's always, to me it's always interesting to read futurists because who really knows the future, right? But it's interesting to see what people are thinking and how people are, um, are looking at trends. One of the things that Thompson says is, and I think is really right on target, is that the virus is more than causing trends to happen, it's accelerating trends that were already in place. Trends like uh, cities probably peaking out in terms of their uh, people wanting to be there because as people get more and more uh, adept at doing uh, working remote, they can live anywhere. And uh, they, can afford, they, can, they can manage their jobs from anywhere. Trends like it's going to be hard on retail. Retail has to rethink how they function. 
it's true for us in the same way that uh, the, the virus reveals trends that were already at work. Um, yeah, and also for us spiritually, the virus reveals anxiety that was already in place. The storm doesn't cause the house to collapse in Matthew 7, Matthew 7, 24 through 27. It just reveals a foundation that was already compromised, already built on sand. What is the crisis revealing in you? What is it showing you about your anxiety levels? Is it showing you that, hey, I'm, I'm just basically an anxious person, and when crisis happens, I get really anxious? I want to urge you today, become obsessed with following Jesus. You say, well, how do I know what I'm obsessed with or what I'm anxious about? You know, a lot of it, especially for men, guys, listen up. That's how we keep score. We keep score by how many toys we have in a lot of ways, and I walk down the street of our neighborhood, and I'm meeting neighbors a lot lately, and I talked to one guy I hadn't met before, but I always knew he had a lot of cool cars. And that's kind of how we keep track and how we keep score. And there's nothing wrong with having interests like sports uh, or even following the stock market. But when we are anxious about that, when we can't relax because we're worried about our 401K, when we become so concerned about our look and what we kind of clothes we can wear, or our bodies based on whether we've been able to go to the gym or not, we're probably not obsessed with following Jesus. We need to keep score by questioning every day, God, am I a spiritual beggar today? Do I need you? Do I want to live like Jesus taught? Or do I live pretty much like the rest of the world? See, I think there's an incredible opportunity in this crisis to say, Jesus, I want to live like you. Because living like the rest of the world is an anxious place to be. Start keeping score that way. Am I a spiritual beggar? Am I mourning over sin? Uh, do I never arrive spiritually? Um, are you following Jesus? Are you obsessed with living like him? Or are you trying to serve those two masters? Well, I want to follow Jesus, but I also want to acquire a lot of wealth and accumulate a lot of wealth. You're never going to get rid of anxiety when you're living that way. This morning, or tonight, or whenever it is you're watching this, ask yourself the question, am I obsessed with following Jesus? Because if you can get obsessed by living like Jesus, your anxiety will dissipate. Some of you may say, you know, Steve, I, I've never followed Jesus in that way. I, I need to make that commitment because I want to be obsessed with him, not just to have said I had an experience with him or not just say I know something about him, but rather I want to be obsessed with following Jesus. This is your day. You can repent of your sin and ask this Jesus to pay for your sin and to come into your life with his spirit to live through you. I urge you today to do that. If that's where you are, please, please, please email me at steve at fbcdelray.com. I would love to just help you and answer any questions that you have. This is a great time to do this. Don't miss this opportunity. We love you and we miss you all. Let me lead us in prayer as we move forward. Let's pray. God, I lift up those who are listening today who are just anxious, Lord. Oh, God, would you replace that anxiety with obsession? Could they get obsessed with following you, with climbing the ladder 
of following you, Lord. Oh, God, you, we know you can do that. And I pray with them right now that they would repent of their sin, that they would ask you, Jesus, to bear their sin, to save them, to give them your peace. And God, for those today who would say, you know what, I, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I, I just get anxious. Lord, would you place in our hearts a sense of the reality of what you, Jesus, have done for us. That you bore the billions of sins that we've committed. You have taken the blame for that. You've taken the emotional and physical and spiritual punishment for that, Lord. Can we get a picture of that, Lord, so that when we look at all that you've given us, you've given us innocence. You've given us a place on your team. And Lord, you've given us a future with you forever. Oh, Lord, as we consider that, how can we be anxious for all that you've done for us? How can we say, I worry whether I'm going to have enough, whether you're going to care enough about me to give me what I need? Oh, Lord, forgive us of choosing anxiety over obsession. May we live our lives obsessed with following you. And it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to our website at fbcdelray.com. Also, click the share button so you can share this message with a friend or someone in need as we seek to know Jesus, to know others, and to make him known. We cry out, we cry out.